Well, I'm going to share a little something with you before we begin this morning, just because Shayla said I should. Um, I, I was talking with her this week, and as you know, you always should talk with your wife during the week, I guess. Um, that made it sound funny. Regularly, we have conversation, but specifically, I was talking with her about this. Is um, I've been writing sermons every week for a lot of years, and you kind of get in a groove of like how you do things. And, uh, and I came home Thursday after, after kind of basically finishing my first draft of the sermon, and I said to Shayla, like, I am rattled. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. Something just doesn't feel right. And so Friday morning, I went back to the office and went through the second draft, and, and basically I made a bunch of changes, and then I changed them all back. And I said, no, no, no. I'm not happy with this. We're going to go with this to begin with. And then the last thing that I do during the week is on Saturday night right before bed as I read through it. And just to be fresh on my mind and, you know, I think maybe subconsciously I'm hoping that God will just give me some kind of epiphany and, as I dwell on that and, and sleep over it. But, um, but as I was going through that, same thing happened again. I started crossing things out and making notes and wanting to change it. And then I went back to it again and I went, no. So I don't know what's going to happen here this morning. So as Lee said um, to me earlier this morning is as long as we're preaching God's word and not my own, we'll be okay. So we're going to do our best to do that. But just before we begin here, let me just tell you where we've ended up is over the month of July, we were focusing on the topic of prayer. And we looked at different aspects of how uh, to pray. And and I really hope it was a practical series for you. Uh, This next week, as Ernie mentioned, our our whole board, our our whole leadership is off down to to Windermere for two and a half days um, to just seek God. And, and usually on these retreats, we talk about, you know, future planning and ideas and, and fall programming and all these things. But the first little while, all we're going to do is we're just going to spend time in prayer. We have ideas that we think are really good. But have we even run those by God? Have we even talked with him to see what is your will for our church? Where are you leading and guiding? And so I just say that because I want you to know is we didn't just talk about prayer for a month and then we're just moving on to the next thing is we as leadership are going to try and employ these things, that implore the, or do these things that we studied for a month, that we're going to spend time quietly seeking God's wisdom, that we would not do our own thing, but that we would do what he has called us to do. And so if you, uh, if you weren't here, if you're visiting and you're like, man, prayer, that would be interesting, I'd like to check that out, is you can go to our website, um, and, and find those, those messages and, and wrestle through some of those scriptures because I think prayer is one of those things that Christians all know we should pray, but many of us struggle with what does that practically look like and, and how do we not just say the same old things over and over. And so when I was planning my summer, that's where I wanted to start. Start there with prayer that we would slow down, that we would consider what God is calling of us. And then I wanted to deal with an aspect of, of stewardship. in in August. And uh, Ernie mentioned, we'll be away next week, so it'll be this Sunday and then the last two Sundays. And we're going to look at three different uh, aspects of stewardship. But let me just define it for you really quickly so you kind of get it in your head right. Stewardship is simply this. It's using the gifts that God has given you, the things that God has given you, for the edification of others and for the benefit of your neighbor and for the It's not meant for ourselves. It's not meant to be this, these are gifts that are to benefit me, but they're to benefit the community. They're to benefit others. And we'll we'll look at a bunch of scripture that mentions that this morning. 
I say that because, again, we live in a very egocentric culture. And so our focus is predominantly on us. And, and we think, well, I need this because someone else has that. I need, I need that thing I, I, I wish I had. And, and we get really narrow focused onto ourselves, forgetting others. And so I've said this before, but if you're not part of the voice of the martyrs, that is a really good opportunity to broaden your perspective around the world. That there's many people, uh, over 100 people in a couple of days last uh, week were executed for their faith in Nigeria. Kneeled down, blindfold on, and shot in the back of the head. I, I think when we see those things and we're reminded of what's happening in the world, it should cause us to look beyond just our own life and cause us to see things more broadly. The Bible talks about this in many different ways, generally speaking, and then we're going to talk about stewardship. So Philippians 2, 3, and 4 was already written. One of those verses was already up on the screen during the kids' video. It says this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. I'm actually going to use this text on, on Wednesday at a wedding uh, for some folks that are sitting here for the first time ever, but don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you guys. I'm sitting up there somewhere. And we're going to look at the reality that it, whether it's marriage, whether it's sibling relationship, whether it's broader family, whether it's friends, whatever it is, is if all you do is talk about yourself, then your relationship with that person won't grow. But rather, we need to consider their interests. We need to invest in them. Probably even more familiar to you, and, and if you're a parent and you've had children at Christmas, maybe you've said this is Acts 20, 35b. It says, this, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Right? Sometimes we've got to remind our kids because they get real excited and a little bit greedy at Christmas time. Is that why are there only 37 presents? under the tree. I'm just kidding. There's never been 37 presents under a tree. But looking at this with a sense of like, it actually brings you, and, and I think the older we get, the more we see this, right? Is when we've given a good gift to someone that we know that they're going to love, we get pumped about it. We're excited to watch them open it and to see it. And that actually brings more joy than the things that we get. Well, Jesus takes it further in Matthew 16, 24, and he says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Or as Joby Martin likes to say, is the gospel is for you, but it's not about you. Is we as Christians need to step back and recognize that everything is ultimately about the glory of God. Everything points to Jesus. Everything that we do should point to Jesus. And so over these next three weeks, we're going to look at three, or I guess it's over four weeks, but we're going to look at three aspects of stewardship. And there's two very classic ones. How do we steward our time? And how do we steward our money? And if you're visiting, don't worry, we're not asking money today. I'm gonna, I feel really bad for those that come when we are going to preach on money. Uh, that's a different issue, though. But we're, I think it's important. We're going to deal with what, what has God called us to do with those resources, whether time or, or, or finances. But here this morning, we're going to look at something that I think is more intrinsic than those that will actually change our view of ecclesiology. And if you don't know what ecclesiology is, it's simply the study of the church. So what does it mean to be the church? Well, this is going to be at the very center, the very foundation of that. 
And so what we're going to talk about this morning is the stewards, the, our stewardship of the spiritual gifts that God has given us. We looked at this passage briefly last week because we had some new members join the church. But it goes beyond just inviting us into a family, into how we're going to serve that family. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 7, he says this about spiritual gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, these gifts are not given for you. They're given for all. At the end of the book, in 1412, or near the end of the book, he says, uh, so with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, in other words, as he's saying, uh, so you want gifts to use? Well, here's what he says. Strive to excel in building up the church. That should be our goal with whatever gift we've been given. The building up of each other, not the building up of myself. In Ephesians 4.12, it says it even maybe more clearly that gifts have been given, the quote, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So here's the thing, is if you are a follower of Christ, then you are called to the equipping for ministry to the church. So that means each one of us has a role to play as we seek to accomplish the purpose that God has given us. And if you don't know what the purpose that God has given the church is, it's simply this, is to declare Christ and to make him known. Our role as individual believers and corporately together is the same thing. We love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbor self, and we show them who Christ is. That's the mission of the church. There are several passages in Scripture talking about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. None of those uh, lists of spiritual gifts are exactly the same because the point is not that it's an exhaustive list, but rather there are uh, varieties of gifts given to God, but all for one purpose, the of the church. So let me be real clear here. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you have made Christ first in your life, then you have been given the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 1. And the Holy Spirit's job, he's got a few different things that he does in our life. One of them is that he's going to convict us of sin and righteousness. So the only reason we come to faith in Jesus in the first place is because the Holy Spirit is showing us that we have sin that needs to be dealt with. And there's only one way to have that dealt with, through Jesus. Then he continues to work and convicts us of righteousness so that we might know how to live. And then ultimately, the Spirit will bring judgment at the end. John 4, 26, we see that the Spirit will bring remembrance to all that Jesus has said and taught. Also in Luke 12, 11, and 12, we read this. Um, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So the Holy Spirit does multiple things. He convicts us. He leads us in righteousness. He teaches us what to say and reminds us of the truth of the word of God. But as you're going to see now as we read 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit has also uniquely equipped each one of us for the common good of the church. That we would serve one another as we seek to serve Christ. So I don't know if I can say this more seriously, but if God has given you 
uh, not if, if you're a Christian, God has given you one, at least one, specific spiritual gift for you to use for the edification of your brothers and sisters. So that means if you are not at work in the church with how God has called you to, to serve, then you are denying the church and you are living in insubordination to Christ. That sounds very aggressive and I'm sorry. But that's what scripture is teaching us. He hasn't given us a gift that, that we can use if we want to or if we're comfortable with it. He's given us a gift that we would all band together as one body and serve one another. So let's read this together in 1 Corinthians 12. Starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all, sorry, if we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. There's so much that we could unpack in there, but notice the emphasis on unity and plurality there. You, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Each of you who call yourself a Christian, each of you who are a follower of Jesus, you've been given a gift. And the purpose of that gift is to steward that gift well, ultimately so that the body would be equipped for ministry so that people would come to Christ. That should be our primary focus over everything else. Yes, we have to have jobs. We've got to make money so that we can eat and you know, provide for our children and those types of things. But none of those things should be primary, but it all should be under, how do I do this in light of the fact that God has gifted me uniquely and my purpose is to declare Christ and to make him known? The plurality, the unity together becomes so important. And he uses kind of that, that funny image of going, if everyone was one part of the body, you know, you wouldn't be able to do other things. And well, if you live in Banff a long enough time, you've probably broken something because uh, that's the lifestyle here. Uh, good old Daniel at the back there has a busted finger from, from work. And we were chatting about this. And, and he, so he's a plumber and a good one. But when one of your hands don't work, now, I've never done a lot of plumbing stuff, let's be real honest. But I imagine it's much more difficult with one hand than with two. And in that moment, all of a sudden, you realize, even though you already have another hand, is, man, the body is uniquely designed to accomplish what, what we need to do. And we need all those parts to work in unison together. Anyone ever had, like, shin splints before? No, just us out-of-shape people? Okay, so if you never had this, it's really interesting is, there's some, Fabian, you know this more than I do. There's, there's people in the medical field that understand this. I don't. I'm going to give you a really poor understanding. When you're really out of shape and you work too hard all of a sudden, like running or something, 
the, the whatever it is, the muscle between your shin and your foot uh, doesn't work real well. And, and this happened to me a little while ago where I was doing something, I don't remember. And, and that muscle was just done and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything anymore. And so I had to go to the store to get groceries, but I couldn't lift my foot off the ground anymore because it was just like, it just hung like this. So it was like Monty Python, you know, walking downtown. <laughs> and it was just super embarrassing because it's like, why won't my body work? And it's just one of those little silly moments where I was like, this is, this is the body of Christ. When something's not working right, everything looks real goofy and is not being accomplished the way that God has ordained. And so here's the question that I want to ask you. What is your spiritual gift? What has God given to you for the building up of the church to accomplish his purposes? How has he gifted you? And so I just want you to consider this uh, for a moment because the gift that you have been given, God has called you to steward this, not for you, but so that other people would come to Christ. And if we're not accomplishing that purpose, if we're not working together in that, then how are we going to do what God has called us to do? Now I want to be, I don't want to be, I'm going to be really aggressive here and say it this way is if we're not doing the thing that God has called us to do, then are we living the way that God has called us to live? And the answer is no. We know that Christ should be most important, but not just most important to us, but most important to everybody that we get to encounter. That's the purpose for why we are Christians. Otherwise, when you become a Christian, you would just get raptured straight to heaven and you'd be done and we could just move on. But God has called us with purpose and meaning not just, you know, to make money, not just to accomplish things on this earth for, that we think are valuable, but, but to accomplish things that he thinks are valuable. So what is your spiritual gift? Now, the neat thing about being in Banff is I, I don't know all of you. And so I don't know whether this is the first time you've ever walked in church and you're about to get up and leave because it's really uncomfortable, or whether you've been part of church for a long time. So I don't know if you have read through parts of the Bible on spiritual gifts, if this is maybe a brand new concept to you. If it is new to you and if you're like, man, I don't, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, let me encourage you with some stats, but not to encourage you just to not do anything about it, but to encourage you to act. The Barna Research Group uh, in January of this year put out a, a survey and in it, only 30% of regular church-attending people could list examples of what biblical spiritual gifts are. Only 30%. The, one of the top answers that was given was a sense of humor. I have yet to find that in the Bible. It's not bad having a good sense of humor. We need that. And God can use that. But it does show a disconnect between us and what the Word of God says. 21% of people that were surveyed said this. They believe that God has given spiritual gifts to people, but not to them. So they believe that other people were gifted for the work of the ministry, but that they were not. Well, it's just not, it's not a true statement. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says this. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities. Now notice this. But it is the same God who empowers them all in who? Everyone. 
everyone who has come to faith in Christ. And so there's a couple things that we need to wrestle with in the spiritual gift aspect is, is we have to put ourselves in a realistic expectation. So let me read 21 to 26 to you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Here it is. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's this... There's this pushing notion that's coming, especially in our time. It's not new to our time, but it's maybe very obvious in our time. Is where this statement will get made, well, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. But how do you be part of the church? How do you be part of the body if you're not with the body? How? If I have purpose that is for the rest of my body and I'm conspicuously absent from that body, then I'm robbing the body of its function. This is what the Bible is teaching us and showing us. We need to be with the body. So if you think, let's go from one extreme to another, if you think that you have lots of gifts and you don't need anybody else, then you're living in your own arrogance. And your thinking is not in step with the Bible. On the flip side, if you think, man, my gift is useless. It's, I wish I had those gifts. I, have, I wish I was like that other person. Then we're telling God that he screwed up and made a mistake when he made us. David says that God knit him together in his mother's womb. That before he was even born, God was lovingly and creatively crafting this person together. The same is true of you and I is God hasn't made any mistakes. No matter what our world wants to tell us, is God has not made mistakes. And so if you're sitting there going, man, I, I don't know what my gift is. I, I, don't, I don't have a gift to use. Well, that's not true thinking. We need to go back to Scripture. We need to remind us that we all are the body together and that even when you think your gift is maybe less honorable or, or not it's weaker, it might say, well, Paul says those that you think are weaker are actually indispensable. So let me say it this way. Is each one of you are indispensable for the body of Christ. When we preached through 1 Corinthians a couple of years ago, I kept saying it this way, is I need you and you need me and we need us. Is that's how we're going to accomplish the purposes of Christ. Not because I got an idea and I went and I just went for it on my own. Because I brought it to my brothers and my sisters and I went, here's what God is calling. Can we work together in this? And then we come together and we pray and we seek God's will and then we go to accomplish that purpose. Now, the ways in which we're going to accomplish that, that will change from time to time. But how are we going to accomplish that? How do you figure out if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, how do you figure out what it is? I think that's the obvious question to ask. Well, let me give you an analogy. Is maybe let's pretend you didn't know how to swim. 
And so you picked up a book and you read about the dog paddle and you read about the backstroke and whatever other strokes there are. And then you went, oh, now I know how to swim. Throw you in the deep end. What happens? Intellectual knowledge only takes you so far and where it'll take you is to the bottom. So what you do is you throw your kids in, gently, kids, to the water, hopefully in the shallow end. And you talk them through it and you get in beside them and you show them how. And you teach them what it means to swim. The same is true with spiritual gifts. I don't know what my gift is. Well, why don't you come along with me and we'll go serve in this way and we'll see, has God called you here? Has God called you to this purpose? One thing I saw lots of times over this last year, um, people would come and kind of volunteer with Chili Night. They always said the same thing to me. It's like, man, like that was really enjoyable. Like I, I, I got a lot of joy out of serving and helping. And then it would be the next week you'd have to convince them that, oh, do you remember how blessed it was to give rather than to receive? But we forget. And we go, oh, I don't know if that's what I'm called to do. Did God use you last week? Well, yeah. Then do you think maybe he's called you to that? Maybe. So let me read to you. If if you don't know what spiritual gifts are or or the specifics of spiritual gifts, I'm just going to read to you a list. And this is taken from kind of all those passages. And again, it's not exhaustive, but it's meant to give you an idea of what spiritual gifts look like. Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, administration, leadership, mercy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, discernment, tongues, interpretation, helps, Prophecy, and let me just clarify that really quickly. Prophecy in the New Testament very clearly is to declare the words of God and make them clear to the hearer, not to give new miraculous moments of here's what God said, but to say here in the Bible, here is what God has said. Let's understand. Now, maybe some of those in that list, if you grew up Mennonite culture like I did, tongues and interpretation, that's uncomfortable. I don't like it. Let's move on. But do we actually read through those things and go, God, what have, you, what have you called me for? The greatest gift that you have to serve God is the spiritual gift that he has given you. Not what you think you want to do. So seek him. God, what have you called me to do? And then jump in the water alongside someone else who can teach you how to swim and see, is it, does, do I... Do I find that when I'm doing this thing, whatever this thing in that list is, that God is at work and that he's using me to accomplish his purposes? Then keep doing it. Then keep doing it. Often we talk about this reality of burnout. I don't have the energy anymore. Well, here's the thing. What the scriptures teach is that God equips you for ministry, not you equip you for ministry. And so if you are following after God, that God will give you the energy required, that God will give you what you need to accomplish his purposes. But here's the thing, and and I'm going to be very direct here. From what I've seen over the last number of years is there's there's an old adage that is proving to be true that 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. Is we have some very specific people in this church that are heavily involved in many places. And they're working hard for the ministry of the Lord. And there are many in the church, not just our church. If you're visiting, 
I think this is true of most churches, is that we aren't sure how to serve. And so we let other people step in and do these things because we see them as, well, they're more gifted than I am. They have more obvious abilities than I do, and so I'm going to let other people do those things. Last year, for Ernie's sake, I talked about hockey as the uh, analogy for this. Is if you're in the penalty box, then your teammates have to work extra hard to accomplish what they're trying to do. And if another one goes to the penalty box, it gets that much more difficult. And if you're playing a whole game and there's only three of you and there's five of them, how are you going to accomplish the things that God has called you to do? And so we all need to jump in the water. And, 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 and I say this, my goal here is not that everyone just gets involved and so that everyone else doesn't have to work as hard. That's not my point. My point is to steward the very thing that God has given you for his purposes because that's what we're called to. And so I want to encourage you. And if you're visiting this morning, as I hope that you go home to your local church and you step in, and, and hopefully you are already plugged in, but that you step in and you go, hey, I want to disciple others. I want to, I want to teach others how to swim, as it were. I want to equip them. I want to show them what it means to serve the church. And if you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, you're like, man, I don't know what any of this looks like, is jump in the pool and hold on to someone. And let them help you and show you what it means to be a Christian. They'll do it very imperfectly because we're not perfect. But imagine if all of us as churches gathered together to seek to accomplish the will that God has given us to, make, to declare Christ and to make him known if we all join together to accomplish that purpose, imagine the work we could do here in the Bow Valley and across the world. Friends, you have been given a very specific gift as God chose. And there's not better gifts and worse gifts. You're all part of the body. And my prayer for you is that you will see that what your gift is matters. It doesn't matter more than someone else's but it doesn't matter less than someone else's either. That we would accomplish the things that God has called us to. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. God, thank you for these words in scripture, for the reminder that we as Christians have a purpose and it is not just to go and make money and seek career advancement and accumulate possessions but that our goal is to declare Christ to a world that desperately needs him. And you have given us unique jobs and skills to accomplish those purposes and to use the gifts that you have given us effectively. But not only have you called us to, with, with skills to careers and to work, but you've called us with spiritual gifts for the edification, for the lifting up, for the equipping of ministry of the saints. And so, God, I pray that each of us would take very seriously how have you called us? I pray that each of us would ask, how have you gifted me? And how can I use that gift to serve one another? And that as we band together as, as one church family, united in mission and purpose, that your word would be declared and that many would come to faith in you. For to this we have been called. 
God, may we learn what it means to steward the gifts that you have given us, not just the obvious ones, but the spiritual gifts that you have given us, that we might work for your good, that others would come to faith in you so that you would receive glory and honor. Amen. In that regard, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 12, you can just flip back a page to 1 Corinthians 11. And here's the thing is once a month we take communion together. And, and so whether you're a member of the church or not, we, we're, if you have made Christ your Lord, uh, please, by all means, uh, eat and drink with us in this moment. And I'm going to read to you from a little section of scripture here, but, but I want to relate this to what we just talked about. Is that Christ came to this earth, that he died on the cross as the substitutionary atonement, as the, as the substitute in my place and in your place, so that we would find salvation and so that ultimately we could go to be with him. But he didn't just save us for that future moment. He saved us for now as well. And so when we eat and we drink together, we proclaim that Jesus did, and do, did indeed do what he said he did, but that he then also left us here for now to proclaim Christ. So here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he gives a warning. Because people in the Corinthian church were coming together to do communion, but not to live for Christ. They weren't putting him first. And so he warns them and says in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the, the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so here's what I want to do is, is I'm going to invite the guys up and we're going to pass these, uh, the bread first and then, and then the cup in a moment. And as you're holding those things in your hand, I want you to, evaluate your own hearts and say, God, what spiritual gift have you given me? And how have you called me to serve you? And I just want you to consider those things. When you leave here, the people that you leave with, ask them, hey, do you see a gift in me that God has given me that I don't see? Have conversation together that we might figure out how to eat and drink in a worthy manner. Not worthy because we're good, but worthy because we're being obedient to what God has called us to do. So guys, you can come on up and I'm going to pray for the bread. God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus Christ did what we could not. That Jesus came to the earth and that he lived a perfect life without sin. That he took our place on the cross. That he died in our place so that we might be able to live again. Thank you that Jesus' body, which was broken for us, that his blood that was spilled for us became the atonement, the only sacrifice that could forgive us of our sin. 
But God, thank you that you also then in that moment, you didn't just rise again and take everyone with you, but you rose again and equipped them for your second coming so that we as the church can minister in the communities that you have placed us so that we can declare Christ and make him known. And so God, in these next moments as we're quiet, as we just hold the bread in our hands, I pray that we would consider what does it mean to steward our spiritual gifts and what spiritual gift have you given us? What individually, what spiritual gift have you given me so that I can use for the edification of the saints for ministry? God, thank you that in your foresight that you didn't just deal with sin, but you gave us purpose and meaning for the rest of our days here on the earth. So help us to consider these things now. Amen.